People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. And as I said earlier on today's Macmillan Friday, we've got two interviews with Macmillan published South African authors. We've just finished with Craig Higginson, the author of The Dream House and um, The White Room, among other books. And now, from a very serious literary book and author to someone who has her background in journalism and who writes very humorous nonfiction. We welcome to the studio Rebecca Davis. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Stephen. My work is also very literary, I'd like to make clear. And serious. Yes, very. I'm not going to do the introduction because I always let my authors do that. Please, in your own words and on your own terms, introduce yourself. Myself. My name is Rebecca Davis. I am a journalist for the Daily Maverick. That is my day job where I write political analysis. So a bunch of quite heavy stuff, to be honest. And then occasionally, well, twice, to to be precise, I write humorous nonfiction in book form. So my first book was a collection of essays released in 2013, 15, 2015, called Best White and Other Anxious Delusions. And I've just brought out my second, which is called Self-Helpless, a cynic search for sanity. I live in Cape Town. Um, I have a cat and a wife. And... Mm. I like yeah. the fact I like the fact that you define yourself more than just the book that you wrote. It's almost like a trick question, you know. Do the authors just talk about the book that they get to publicize, or maybe a laugh? Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I thought that was what you wanted. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you first about the Daily Maverick. Can you please explain the, the background of the newspaper and where they fit into the political spectrum? I think you know not everyone knows about the Daily Maverick. And it's nice just to give the the publication, you know, the Daily mm, Maverick, mm. a little bit of a platform. No, for sure. If you're not reading Daily Maverick, then you must be terribly ill-informed. Um, Daily Maverick is an independent uh, media outlet, dailymaverick.co.za or .com. Either will do. And we publish analysis and opinion and general reporting from South Africa. It does have a mainly political focus, but we do carry... Arrange. We also carry a lot of very interesting and diverse opinion from both politicians and regular people and journalists like myself. Um, and I think we have created a kind of niche in terms of having quite a uh, sort of very independent but also quite irreverent tone, opinionated. Richard Poplack, of course, is one of our best-known writers. And, um, yeah, I think that... Uh, you should you should be reading it to stay informed. Is there an app or is it just the website? It is there is just the website. There's also a membership program which you can join, which is offers you all sorts of exciting benefits, like being able to leave comments. And, and what type of polit- uh, opinions do you write? Pointed ones, very <laughs> strident. No, um, I I so because I'm Cape Town based, I generally cover. Cape Town-based political developments. I do a lot of stuff on the DA, Parliament sometimes. And then when it comes to more opinion-y opinion, I write about feminism, gender, um, kind of social justice stuff as well. So everyone is listening. If you haven't yet got the, Maver- the, the dailymaverick.ca.za or .com on your smartphone, 
This is the opportunity to stop listening for a few moments. Well, listen, do two things at the same time, multitask, and just quickly get the Daily Maverick onto your smartphone so that uh, you can get well-informed and diverse opinions about South Africa, politics, and uh, everything else that's going on here. Now, self-helpless, what got you started? So... Uh, two things really and one is that for a while I've been quite interested in this kind of explosion of the self-help industry both in South Africa and globally in fact South Africa is really lagging behind and one of the things I write about in the book is that an illustration of how crazy South Africa has gone for self-help is that if you go into some exclusive bookstores they have a cabinet which houses the most stolen books Go to the one at the waterfront, for instance, which is the one I normally go to in Cape Town. That cabinet is just chock, it's shelf to shelf with self-help. It's just rich man, poor man, the secret. And, you know, you just, it's a, you know, it's a tough one, Stephen, because you like, if you find yourself in such a pickle that you are shoplifting self-help books, then there is something undeniably a bit tragic. But on the other hand... Kudos to you, sir or lady, for making a proactive attempt to get out of your situation, albeit through theft. So the self-help industry is, is massive, and Cape Town, where I live, is particularly this kind of epicenter of, you know, alternative stuff. I live in Seapoint. You know, people just pass you on the street and they're like, have you tried the ozone infusion at the vitamin bar? That is an actual thing. I haven't actually done that. But, you know, there is this real... People are very open to alternative remedies and stuff. So those are the two things that I am in this environment that is clearly going through a bit of a uh, an explosion of the stuff. And then on a more personal level, I stopped drinking alcohol 18 months ago. And I realized the extent to which I and many of us had been using alcohol to kind of tamp down your existential Anxiety, you know, you you drink and then you you stop yourself from questioning all the the big stuff like the meanings and um, and uh, how you're supposed to live a, a sane and happy life in a world that is often very anxiety-inducing. So it was a combination of all those things that got me on this this year where I decided for twelve months I would open myself up to any kind of alternative healing remedy self-help, self-improvement treatment that I came across. And from there came the book Self-Helpless. That's right. As a journalist, there's a relationship, there's a strong relationship between journalists and alcohol. I don't know if it's in spite of or because of that relationship that great journalism happens. That is a very good point, Stephen. It's true. I mean, it's not a joke. In the media industry, Abuse of alcohol is absolutely rampant. I think it is possibly because journalism is hectic and underpaid, as lots of jobs are, but also that journalists often are in quite stressful situations and then have absolutely no recourse to ways of dealing with it other than through alcohol. This whole notion of alcohol creating great journalism, you know, that may be true for some people. I've had people ask me while I've been publicizing this book, so you quit drinking did that have an effect on your creativity? You know, I couldn't do anything when I was drunk, nothing. I could barely walk. I mean, I literally struggled to walk. So the people who are able to, to drink heavily and then in that state, right, I have respect for, but that certainly was not my experience ever. Uh, I think there was like this American 1940s investigative journalist said that you, I think that's created in our, the public consciousness, this idea of… Yes, that's right. Uh, 
alcohol-fueled great journalism. Right, drunk, edit, sober, that kind of vibe. No, it's nonsense. The, the book itself, you have so many adventures mm. in so many different avenues of meaning, searching for meaning. Mm. We'll, we've got to take an ad break. And as soon as we come back after the ad break, we're going to go into some of your more colorful, some of your more exciting adventures. Perfect. People of the Book on 101.9 High FM. This is People of the Book on 101.9 High FM, and we are in conversation with journalist and author Rebecca Davis. The book is Self Helpless, a cynic search for, and then she goes through serenity, wellness, balance, calm, joy, and then finally sanity. And now we want to discuss the actual meaty, nitty gritties of the book mm. the adventures into the search for meaning and for sanity. Let's start with mushrooms. Mushrooms, great experience. Great experience. If So I didn't, I should say, I didn't want to do too many of the same kinds of experience. So for instance, one hallucinogenic drug experience I thought was more than enough, also because realistically writing about your own drug experience is very tedious for everyone else. It's like someone telling you about their dream. Except it's worse because in this case you're not even in the experience and you're sometimes in people's dreams. Um, but I did go to a sacred mushroom ceremony at a, a proper spiritual retreat, which was extremely well choreographed and surprisingly structured. You know, there was a real sense of pageantry about the whole thing. The mushrooms were dispensed as a kind of sacrament, etc. And I had this ex- sort of extraordinary transcendent experience with, um, you know, senses heightened and feeling like you're really cracking through to some deep truths about the universe and then attempted to replicate it. At home, and everything went terribly wrong. Then, uh, well, this week we've just had uh, uh, the Jewish community, the Jewish Jews around the world have just celebrated Yom Kippur, That's which right. is a twenty-six hour fast. You live in Seapoint, so you can't uh, you, you can't not know about Absolutely. this. Absolutely. Uh, that's a twenty-four, a twenty-six hour fast day to achieve atonement for sin. You also looked for meaning in fasting. Yeah, so I mean, the reason why Jews, Muslims, a lot of religions fast is, of course, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't mean to talk on behalf of your religion, but, you know, to to bring you closer to God, to express a kind of humility and gratitude for what you have. But also there is this idea that fasting produces a mental clarity, right, that um, that you will, you know, sort of free up some kind of... Uh, mental space through through the act of physically depriving yourself of food and that's um that's why p- people who aren't religious often engage in periods of fasting which is exactly what i tried to do coincidentally with the the month of ramadan and um that i found to be a very difficult exercise because rather than producing a spirit of clarity and uh, humility i was extraordinarily grumpy all the time, very poor at time management, very stupid, <laughs> very mentally slow and feeble. So that one was not one that worked out for the best for me, I must say. Uh, fasting is not something that we all look forward to. I can I imagine. Think, uh, for Yom Kippur, what makes it is that it's a very structured prayer during the course of the day. So you are in shul and you are focused on what you're saying. And even though the that the strength levels are dipping and the concentration levels are dipping, you do have a focus for the whole day. And it's just one day and then it's over. Yes, exactly. I think that was the problem, that because I didn't have anything to give it a wider purpose, so no religious function, etc., and as you say, no no text, no reading, no particular 
um, structure in that regard, I think that is what did make it more difficult. Yeah. Uh, I'm a principal of a school and I deal with teenagers who are not addicted to their cell phones, but basically the cell phone has become the extra appendage to their body that they weren't born with. Do you allow them to use them in schools? If we see we confiscate, I think if you allow any more leeway than that, you just aren't able to educate no, children. It's impossible to ban them from the class because the parents will send them in the suitcases because they need to be in contact with their children. But sure, it's, I don't envy you. It's a very difficult one mm. because the cell phone is really an extension of mm. the 21st century person. It's, mm. not, it's not a separate device from us. It is part of ourselves. And you took, I love the word, the phrase, a social media sabbatical. I did. I'm still on it. It's 18 months and counting. I think, yeah, last May, um, Facebook gone, and I will never return to Facebook. That I have the, not the slightest doubt about. I still have a Twitter profile, and I've had to post, I think, four tweets to promote this book because I am contractually obliged to do so. But other than that, I'm off Twitter as well. And, Stephen, honestly, the difference it has made to the quality of my life has been stupendous. One of the most effective and easiest things I've done in terms of instantly producing better mental health because I found there was such an obvious correlation between – a uh, poor quality of day and the amount of time I was spending on the internet and uh, on social media, I should say, in particular, because there are worthwhile things you can do on the internet, like go to Daily Maverick or read proper news, you know. And I also found that um, social media was causing me, it was shifting my perception of the world in a negative way. So I'd go on to South African Twitter, for instance, and I just, the kind of toxic debate I was seeing there was making me feel really hopeless about the possibility of meeting each other South Africans in any way, across race, class, gender, any kind of lines. And then I'd go out into the real world and see something quite different, just from interacting with regular South Africans, you know, outside of that very poisonous context. And that also made me think, like, why am I exposing myself so willingly to this, to this toxic environment? It's really quite masochistic. It's self-defeating, you know. And since leaving social media, I have felt not only more positive about South Africa, but generally more, I guess, more upbeat about life, honestly. And I think we don't realize the extent to which we're being poisoned by it. It's the frog in the boiling water situation. I find this absolutely like revelatory because no, very few people told you that they've gone on a social media sabbatical and for 18 months, but to have someone have done, who's done it and then to compare the quality of life before and after. And I was properly so addicted, I should say. I was properly addicted. I had 40,000 Twitter followers and I was, you know, working that. I was working that beat. So for me to give it up re really was a big deal. And I did have to have some assistance from the aid of these plugins you can download to Chrome, which when you try and go on Facebook and Twitter, a little man pops up and rebukes you very sternly. He says, what are you trying to do? You tried this yesterday as well, and then you feel ashamed and you don't try it anymore. I would, I would recommend it, Stephen, to anyone. Uh, and in terms of your journalism and your career as a journalist, has not having a Twitter feed in any way impacted on your... Not in the slightest, and this is really something that I think is a major myth. The journalists think they have to be on Twitter to be constantly aware of breaking news. First of all, news breaks, you hear about it, just like you used to in the olden days. Someone tells you Aretha Franklin died, and you're like, right, okay might be 10 months later, but it's no biggie. And um, also, you forget that there are ways to consume news that do not involve social media. Yes, social media very conveniently perhaps collates that information. But what I did 
is that I just signed up for daily newsletters from all the major media outlets, you know, New York Times, Guardian, they all have these, the local ones as well, Daily Maverick has one too. You get those in your inbox and in the period that you would have spent mindlessly scrolling through Twitter and Facebook, you simply read the news like an adult and then you learn things about the world, you know, and it's not just that superficial nonsense. Now I want to ask you one more question on this topic. As a journalist and as someone who has to be very informed, what do you look what which news outlets do you go to? Um, the Guardian is my general go to for news. I mean I just think and culture. And what I love about the Guardian is that they take pop culture seriously as well, so they will find meaning in stuff. Um, the New Yorker, other than that, is my all time greatest. I think it is the greatest magazine in the world. And on a local level, I'm afraid I don't think there's any substitute for Daily Maverick when it comes to intelligent writing. Okay, so there you have it from Rebecca Davis, The Guardian, New Yorker, and The Daily Maverick. Moving through more of your adventures, gymming and the exercise pull. I go to gym, so when I read about your exercise pull, I thought, does this actually be, no, (laughs) there's nothing that that can replace a good workout in terms of getting rid of all of your tension. That is true, as I discovered. So there is this thing, this exercise pull, they call it 561, 516, and uh, it's banned for good reason in South Africa and in America because it causes rats to break out in cancerous, they die. They just develop tumors all over their body and they die rats. But you can buy it in South Africa on the internet from a company in Pretoria to name just one. And it is supposed to give you the physical benefits of exercise without having to exercise. Just note to listeners at home, this is highly not advised. And I did order it and I got it and I ended up flushing it because I just couldn't face the thought of all the tumors. But um, you're right, Stephen. And exercise is one of those boring things that, you know, everyone sort of knows is going to be amazing for your state of mind. And, you know, you should be doing it. But it is just, you know, they say if exercise, if the effects of exercise could be bottled today by the pharmaceutical industry, it would be a wonder drug. And it would, you know, it just does produce that sense, not just of euphoria, but of, I really find clarity, purpose that it's very hard to get from other things that you can do for free what i do to get through the gym workout is i listen to the economist on audio or wow i download interviews with authors from overseas and i listen to that while i'm doing the weights good and, tip and it makes the workout go much faster mm. we in conversation with rebecca davis she's a journalist she writes for the daily maverick and she is an author who most recent book it's just come out right now self-helpless a cynic search for sanity we will be back with more sanity and more conversation straight after this ad break people of the book on 101.9 high fm this is people of the book on 101.9 high fm we are having a great conversation with rebecca davis the author of self-helpless a cynic search for sanity rebecca who were the craziest people that you met on this Search. So the most fraudulent person I think was a Sangoma, which really upset me because I was hoping to have some very uplifting experience as a well-meaning white South African, and I just totally got taken for a ride by a con man of a Sangoma. And I don't think all Sangomas are like that, I should clarify, but this one definitely was. Um, the people who ran the sweat lodge I attended definitely were on the nuttier side, also because they seemed to have such a clear disregard for health and safety, in my opinion. Um, but the one thing I do have to say, Stephen, is that everyone was really nice. In fact, annoyingly so, because, you know, you go into these experiences and you're hoping to get great comedic fodder. Um, but what I ended up finding was that 
you know, people were so welcoming to me that it it ended up feeling a little bit churlish to to to, to mock them. And you know, I just really ended up feeling what is there really to make fun of when people are earnestly trying to make meaning of their lives, however wacky it might seem. I mean, I went to this woman who put me under hypnosis in order to take me through my past lives, which I write about. And again, that's something that a lot of us, I mean, certainly me, would scoff at, you know, the notion that you've had these past lives. Then you start thinking about how much weirder it is to believe in past lives than it is to believe in future lives. And, you know, so there is also a kind of element where you're like, we do accept so many outlandish ideas. We take them on, on faith or whatever, that why are we so closed off to others? And the craziest thing that you did? The craziest thing I did, um, the most unpleasant was certainly a sweat lodge, an experience which I would not recommend to anyone. I lived alone in a forest for a week as part of a silent retreat, and that also had its own, uh, had its own kind of, I mean, challenges, because when you don't speak to anyone for a week, I think you realize the, ex- the extent to which we are dependent on human communication. And a, a really positive thing I did, which I would definitely recommend, was attending a death cafe, which happened in Joburg and Cape Town. I think they're around the country now, where people simply get together. It's not a grief counseling session, but you just discuss the nature of death, your own death, how you feel about the prospect of your own mortality. And there's something about that that is genuinely both meaningful and somehow strangely uplifting. Okay, that sounds very, very interesting. Have you heard of an American author, A.J. Jacobs? I have not. He wrote a book, The Year of Living Biblically. Yes, sorry. I'm. Uh, you know, and no, then I'm, he wrote a book, um, Drop Dead Healthy, where he spent a year trying to get the dream body and going to gym. And then he wrote a book called Knowledgeable. I think he tried to read through the Encyclopedia Britannica or something like the that in a year think, or the yeah. dictionary. And then it's all relative. So we looked at his family tree and how he's related to so many people, and he had a big family reunion. What are you going to do next? <laughs> sure, Stephen. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a tough one. Um, so I've done all these wacky experiences. I mean, what is there, there left to do? You know what I really want to do, but no one will ever pay me to write it. I've got my publisher here. <laughs> is I would like to go on tour with washed out 80s music stars, the kind who come to South Africa and we're suckers enough to buy tickets, the Bonnie Tylers of the world. Behind the scenes when you're just washed up in South Africa is the only place you can do it. That is the book I want to write. <laughs> okay, we've got your publisher. Oh, we've got the, yeah, from the publisher, we've got Arlene here. And maybe we can get uh, following them around the world. And this could go not just from South Africa, you know, South African leadership for everybody. You know, it's like, That's right. What was that song, The Mother Who Lived in the 80s? I can't remember the name. But there was a song like that not so long ago. But I mean, my mm. age, not so long ago, is quite long <laughs> yeah, ago. The 80s, yeah. We've just finished our conversation with Rebecca Davis. Self Helpless is the book. Rebecca writes for the Daily Maverick. Uh, this is a book. It's a cynic's search for sanity. And it's a very, very funny, but also uh, there's undertones of seriousness in the book as well. It's not just humor, humor as a means to get to a deeper meaning. Mm. This is the book Self Helpless. And today's been, as I've said, it's been Macmillan Friday. We've had Craig Higginson in discussing his two his his most recent book, The White Room, and then his previous book, The Dream House. And now with Rebecca Davis, Self Helpless. Until next week, continue reading. Good Shabbos and Chak Sameach.